Welcome to the Level Up Leader Podcast, the premier destination for insights and stories from the forefront of leadership excellence. I'm Michael King, your host, founder of Teams.Coach, and a coach to some of the most visionary leaders and executives across the globe. Today, we're thrilled to have with us Todd Murphy, the president of TrueScope North America and a trailblazer in the realm of media intelligence. Todd's journey from working alongside his father to leading a major player in the global media intelligence landscape is nothing short of inspiring. Todd, it is great to have you with us today. Thanks, Mike. I, uh, I hope I can live up to that introduction. <laughs> so good. Now, your story begins uh, with an invaluable experience working alongside your father, taking over Universal Information Services and transitioning to your current role at TrueScope. It represents a significant evolution. Can you share a little bit more about those early days that shaped your approach to leadership? Yeah, certainly. It, it, although it's been just over 30 years, uh, it doesn't seem that long ago. And and whether it's a, a family member or a, a key mentor or manager that, that someone starts under, I think when you're younger, you definitely are looking around for leadership and, and ideas that you can you can kind of tuck in your mental briefcase and uh, shape the type of manager or leader you want to be in the future. So whether it was uh, apparent to me or subconscious, there was a lot of things that my father shared with me even at the same time, he was giving me a lot of freedom to innovate. Um, but the story all kind of starts uh, about the time that the internet was starting. This is pre-World Wide Web. And I was graduating from the University of Wisconsin. And I said, hey, I've got some ideas around data, data mining and research uh, that I think I could launch on the platform of Universal Information Services. And and he was, you know, pretty frank with me. And he said, hey, that'd be great if you want to come back and work in the company, but you need to know you're going to have to develop your own revenue stream because there's just not going to be enough free and clear profits for both of us. So it, it wasn't a case where uh, there was so much money and I could just kind of come in and tuck in underneath my father's wing and, and spend my nights partying and, and collect a paycheck. Right. I had to create an opportunity to earn um, based on innovation. So that was one lesson is uh, it's good to, it's good to learn that you have to, you, you can only eat what you kill in some cases. Right. And I had to create, I had to create my own hunting ground. Um, and then there was other kind of formative things my father shared with me. Uh, although we were in a pretty mature industry, press clippings hadn't really changed for a hundred years. Uh, he said, Todd, make sure you take change by the hand before it grabs you by the throat. And I've used that quote. I believe it's an original Winston Churchill quote, uh, but it's all about adaptation. And, and even though he came from a, maybe a generation that were more grinders than innovators, uh, he did plenty of innovating on his own. And I think fostered that, that interest in, in innovation, uh, ultimately entrepreneurship, that that really helped me grow the company into the through the 90s and into the 2000s uh so so I, i'd say take change by the hand uh ultimately adaptation um adapt or die you've heard people say that yeah that was probably the most formative things and then lastly he, he kind of 
had a subtext to to some of our work where eh, sometimes it's okay to say yes and then figure out how to do it later. Um, if, it, if an opportunity pops up, don't think of ways or reasons that you can't do it or shouldn't do it, but say yes and then figure out how you will do it. And um, mm-hmm. that generally served me pretty well. I I really love that, by the way. I, you know, just one of the things that we talk about a lot, even with some of the clients and even some of the things that we do here, is that sometimes making your dreams public and making your yeses public is a really great way to invite accountability towards innovation. Um, and so, I've, and I've actually seen that at, at play with you as well. You've had some pretty big, uh, like innovative swings per se over the last over the last couple of years. Um, now, the, this merger with TrueScope, it's it's a pretty pivotal moment in your career. Um, yeah. What inspired it, and how has it reshaped your goals for TrueScope um, um, in North America, at least? I would say COVID was the impetus for it. The notion of uh, developing better technologies started pre-COVID. I'd been working on across three different platforms, three different um, cloud-based portals, um, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. And it was becoming about 2018, it was becoming apparent that I needed to get onto a single platform and that I just didn't have a clear um, opportunity. I could fund it, take, out a lot, take on a lot of debt and, and fund the development. But oftentimes I found development projects of that size, I get about 80% of the way through and the developers that I've contracted with have trouble with the last 20%. And since they're not part of my team, there almost seems to be a lack of, of incentive for them to learn that last 20%. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure not all developers are that way, but it just seems when I outsource it, I get almost there, but I, I can't quite finish it off. And then it took COVID and, and the, the loss of clients, primarily in the hospitality and nonprofit sector, to put, put me a little bit more, I'll say, up against a wall. I still needed new technology, and now I needed it more than ever, um, mm. but was probably in a, in a less of a position to fund it. Um, and I'd already been growing disillusioned with trying to fund it myself. Uh, at the same time, I'd been growing more and more interested in, in partnerships, strategic partnerships. Um, if you had something that could supplement and augment my services, rather than build it, maybe I could work out a, a mutually beneficial opportunity for both of us. And, and coupling pieces together in a, in a seamless uh, way was becoming more of an interest to me. So I had been talking with several what I would call technology providers around the world and came really close to doing a deal with another organization. Um, But then I remembered a year earlier, I had talked to an old friend, John Kroll, um, who I've known for a long time, not that he's an old person, but I've known him for a long time, that they had developed kind of a ground up technology and and they they were approaching media intelligence in a new, what I would say was a new and better way. So before I went down this other path with another organization, I I said, you know, I'm just going to call John and see where he is on that. And he was in a situation where uh, the timing was good. uh, The concept, although it was pretty rough at at that time, uh, was interesting enough that he he actually flew from Sydney, Australia to Omaha, Nebraska 
And um, we sat down and talked and, and with their technology and their philosophy about developing the technology, really giving ownership to the developers so they stay on the project, they feel they're invested. Um, I think that was probably the biggest thing I noticed, as well as his vision and experience um, in the same industry. So there was all these benefits that were lining up while we were talking. And um, I think what what I had to offer was a platform. Uh, we had people, we had processes, uh, they had technology and development, and it all just kind of seemed to come together at the right time with the right people uh, and the right vision. So we were able to make it work and uh, we just passed our one year anniversary of, of um, TrueScope acquiring my company and um, me running the North American operations. It's powerful that you share from a, from it, you know, a, a clear and transparent perspective that, you know, and I don't, I don't get this a lot from people that I talk to, like, you know, that transition sometimes happen because, you know, when things are going great, people got money to spend and they can merge and they can do acquisitions and whatnot. But for you, you know, I think you've been able to, to model well, what it looks like to have your back against the wall and then uh, grow as a leader and also influence your people to do things you've never done before. And obviously this partnership, as far as what it looks like from the outside looking in, uh, looks like the future is really, really bright. Um, do you feel pretty excited about all this? Yeah, it's, it's you know, at a base level, it's been very fun. It's been exciting. Um, I've been able to build a, a, a culture and a team. I, I, I feel like I always had a really strong culture and and had a very good team that I got to work with here, but being able to build a sales team of industry experts, what I would say, you know, the best, the best salespeople in, in, if not North America, potentially globally, uh, that have experience in media intelligence have sold for our competitors, um, and can bring all that experience to bear on this new, uh, opportunity has been, has been fun and exciting. Um, but to get to kind of your earlier comment about transparency, sometimes people feel that they see the wall behind them and they think that it's a bad thing and they can't see the opportunity that might be staring them in the eye if they would just turn around and, and look at the wall and say, you know what, maybe that wall is approaching my back because I haven't adapted. Maybe, maybe I need to be more honest with myself that this industry has changed more than I thought. And, and I'd like to say that Universal Information Services is almost the last of the old press clipping services standing in the United States. Um, there used to be 50, 60 of these companies like ours uh, in the 70s and 80s. And, and now there's about three. Um, wow. And, and I would you know probably dare to say that we're positioned to, to not only survive, but thrive at this point. Because I turned around and I looked at that wall and I said, you know what, that wall isn't isn't a bad thing. It's an opportunity to adapt and change and reinvent ourselves from what was press clippings into news monitoring. Media intelligence is where we are and where I see the future is business intelligence. We're just going to keep changing that uh, to make it more appealing and, and um, necessary across an entire enterprise rather than just in public relations. 
Brilliant. I love it. You know, so this, this adage that says that, you know, that organizations and people, they only change when that's then when the pain of staying exactly the same is somehow greater than the pain of the change. And you have like, you've literally launched into that. You know, and I know you as a leader, as a friend, um, as well, is that you've embraced this idea of change. Um, and, and that you can definitely tell that like in, uh, in your presence and also in, in just how you do business. So thanks for being that that dude, I think that's that's amazing. Um, if you're okay, we're going to shift the mood just for a few seconds here. Sure. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of a game of this or that. I want people to get to know your personality as well in this because um, you're you're absolutely hilarious and you look like Alec Baldwin. So I think that's cool. Um, but I'll list two options and you get to pick your favorite. It's just this or that. So um, vinyl or streaming. Vinyl. That's not because I think vinyl necessarily sounds better i think it sounds warmer but it's it's uh, a more tactile medium you know if you're going to listen to music getting an album out picking it it's kind of like picking out a book to read you know what do i feel like tonight or this morning uh vinyl is also more social you know when was the last time you had a party and people came over to your house and said oh you know can i have the uh, ipad i'd like to pick something out on spotify no one does that uh, but when you have, you know, 1400 records on a shelf, people are like, wow, you've got records and they want to go through, oh my God, I haven't heard this in, in 30 years, play that. So I like all media formats. I particularly like vinyl because I find it more social, more fun, more engaging. Oh, I love that. That's really cool. I haven't heard that perspective before, but you're right. Like I love, we just got Amelia, our daughter, uh, a vinyl, uh, a record play for Christmas and um, of course, right now her her collection revolves around Taylor Swift, but that's a different. Uh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I love it. Uh, she's she's a legit artist for our age for sure. Um, but I never thought about that social aspect of it. I love going into record stores and looking at, you know, just in the liner notes and oh, this yeah. this is the same drummer that played on uh, this other album and and even you know when I'm looking for new music, I'll I'll track musicians you know if i liked this band and they had this guitar player and this singer what other projects did they do you know so records make that easy fun you know everyone's got their thing though some people collect bicycles uh some people collect tequilas you know everyone's got their thing (laughs) all right morning espresso or evening wine morning espresso all right thriving ducati ride or a serene bike journey I like bikes that I pedal over things with motors. So yeah, I like, absolutely. you know, biking through a forest, biking along a, a, a river, you know, biking along a trail. Uh, there's a band called Poi Dog Pondering that had a line in a song that said, you get to know things better when they go by slow. So uh, a thrilling Ducati ride, things are passing me by too fast. I don't, I don't get to see that, that burrito stand, or I don't get to see that, that uh ice cream store yeah, that's fair that's fair i um so i i love my ducati and but i don't ride it fast um especially the wide open road in nebraska it's it's likening to um to driving head force into 300 mile per hour winds you know <laughs> the other problem i have with two wheels is i feel like well i can probably sustain most accidents uh because other drivers suck to be frank um i don't trust other drivers on a motorcycle i got nowhere to hide 
uh, if that idiot comes out of the right and hits me, you know, someone's getting a new pair of eyes or, you know, a, a new right. set of lungs because I'm instantly an organ donor. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but no, no offense to those who enjoy their motorcycles. Yeah. It's kind of something to, to where when you, when I moved to Nebraska, I was looking for something that was just a little bit for me, you know, um, we just moved here from Minneapolis and, um, you know, in the middle of the hustle and bustle of a bigger city, but, you know, living between Lincoln and Omaha, I was like, there's open roads. What can we do? Yeah. And also too, I had, I, I moved here with a, uh, a Piaggio BV 250 scooter. It's probably not interstate riding. No. And people were angry when they saw me riding for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> like all my credibility of, of, of everything in my life went out the window and people go back to me. Italy. Yeah. Exactly. Yell out their pickup trucks. All right. One more live concert or an intimate jam session. Mm, those are two different things. Uh, I love going to good shows. I like going to smaller venues to see bands. I like, uh, cause I can appreciate their artistry and, and, and their music. Uh, but I like noodling around on a guitar with, like our senior vice president of media intelligence is a bass player. So, you know, we used to get together and, and either make up music or play covers. And, and uh, so I know I probably can't say both. I will say that those are different activities and I enjoy those two activities. So this and that, that's fine. Okay. This and that. This and that. All right. Um, So shifting back, this is, uh, this is, this is fun. Right. So, um, but when it comes to your, just who you are as a leader, like your core value of being honest and direct had really, uh, inspires me and it's profound. Can you, can you share just a little bit of a personal anecdote, kind of where this principle steered, uh, you through a challenging situation? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, we developed those core values probably, 15 years ago, um, the team, the, the staff I had at the time, uh, we worked on it. Um, my wife and I had bought a company out in Utah and we brought those same, uh, five core values out there. And some of them are like, always be accountable and surpass client expectations. And, and they're, they're good too. Um, but the honest and direct one has never, um, has never diminished. And I find that it almost is always the answer to everything. And I, and I know that sounds very definitive, but for example, anytime there's a tough question from a client, like um, uh, why did you miss this story? Or how come I didn't get that email? And you find yourself, you start to figure out, okay, well, what are we going to say to the client? How are we going to explain this to the customer? Um, I think that our service is probably more perfect than any other vendor out there. But even as perfect as we are, there are going to be even mistakes that are beyond our control, or you can't even call them mistakes, uh, problematic issues that occur in the cloud or wherever. So anytime I find us trying to figure out what to say, I say, you know what, What what are we thinking? Let's just be honest and direct with them. Let's just tell them what happened. Uh, unfortunately, Google had an IP address issue um, that affected, you know, two thirds of the United States. It lasted about 12 minutes and that impacted you. It's unfortunate that that occurred. But the reality is, if I'm being honest and direct, 
the internet's imperfect. Um, email is imperfect. Uh, people will say, hey, I didn't get my morning report. And that happens sometimes. And we say, oh, well, did you check your spam? Because even if you were getting your morning reports from us for three years in a row, you don't know if your IT team made a slight switch or update to the firewall and email filter that all of a sudden is moving anything with a hyperlink into spam. Right. And, and so whenever I find ourselves trying to explain something, I say, let's just be honest and direct. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean being open, because at the end of the day, a client doesn't really care about the backstory and all the gory details of, of why the error occurred. Uh, just tell them what happened and move on down the road, because what they're more interested in is the solution. How are you going to yeah. how are you going to fix it for me now? How are you going to make my pain go away now? And can you give me any assurances that it won't happen in the future? Yeah, let's do that. I'm not, I, I can't unring that bell, but I can hopefully stop it from ringing again in the future. Yeah, I love that. And so there's a big difference between reasons and excuses. And I think sometimes, you know, people when they, I do believe that people need to understand why you make certain decisions and maybe understanding, you know, why things happen in the first place. Because when you understand the why, then you understand that you're working with a leader who is cognitively aware of the things that influenced what happened in the first place. And it gives them the ability to make sure that things either go right or wrong in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm, you know, we want all of our, everybody wants everyone to understand why something happens. Um, as humans, it's human nature. It's, we thirst to understand our world. I, you know, I'm short of some people who would prefer to invest in, in conspiracies or, or false truths. Um, the majority of people want to understand. Um, and once you satisfy that, they're happy, or at least they're not mad. And if there's a problem and we can tell them why something happened and how we're going to prevent it in the future, nine times out of 10, we have a, a very satisfied and, and pleased customer. Powerful. I love it. So next question for you, it kind of evolves around just the idea of purpose-driven growth. Um, how do you inspire your team to embrace TrueScope's mission and contribute to this growth? That's a really good question. And I think instilling purpose, you know, it kind of goes back to your comment about why. Why do we feel, I can't synthetically ask my team to feel that TrueScope is better than our competitors. I have to show them and, and explain to them and let them see and feel for themselves why our media intelligence platform is superior to our clients, um, especially for the sales team. It's very difficult because when the sales team approaches a prospect, that prospect already knows that they're going to be sold to, and things are probably going to be presented in, in a light that is intended to make our product seem better. So we just last week went through an exercise where I said, okay, what are the eight most important things about our platform, about TrueScope's media intelligence services that our, our competitors don't have? I want to know where are we truly unique and what are the wow factors? So out of those eight, our team said, okay, here are three things that are so compelling that when a prospect says, okay, I'm already using XYZ Corporation, how are you guys different or how are you better? Mike, great question. Let me just show you the three things that they don't have that is winning us business every day. 
boom, boom, boom. Now that's designed to cut to the chase, make things concise, save time, and show you why we're better. And if those yeah. things are unimpressive to you, then we may not have anything to sell you. Uh, if you like what you're, the, the vendor you're using and our innovation, the things that we're creating to save you time and let you work on mission-critical tasks more than play with the data in your media intelligence platform, if that's not important to you, we may not be a fit. And mm. if we be a fit, I don't want to try to nurture a relationship where you're unhappy. Yeah. Again, I can't think of a PR professional that's not looking to save time and work on mission critical tasks instead of sifting through data and noise because they're using a, a, a platform that can't filter as well as ours. That's yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think, um, and I, I love how you've, how you've put things out there in, in a way that makes it accessible. And, and what I mean by this is that, I, and I think that we've had some conversations around this idea and I would even subject that maybe even people that are listening to this, um, if they haven't actually decided that media intelligence is something that you should probably look into, I think it's something to where there's a market space that hasn't really necessarily been tapped yet because media intelligence as a whole, um, would you say that it's been kind of like targeted or reserved for businesses that are doing a certain level of revenue or a certain level of, uh, of media interaction? Uh no, I, I would say it has been pigeonholed historically for public relations and corporate communicators primarily. But over the last 20 years, it's really grown. Um, law firms, uh, public defenders offices um, are using it heavily now um, to identify people who might be involved with a case or might have been interviewed um, and have some information that they could lend to a, uh, a litigation um, situation. Uh, banks, healthcare systems are much more competitive now. And where they maybe didn't do so many community events in the past to promote themselves, they're doing much more community outreach. And, and we can, we're in a position where we can help them evaluate how they're impacting a community, how many people they're reaching, and how effective their community outreach is. So while we used to serve a smaller niche of professionals, that has expanded greatly to almost every industry. Um, so that's exciting. What, what I'll probably go back to is how they're using the data, where it used to just be media monitoring. Part of what I'm really trying to evolve this, this industry into is media across media intelligence is into business intelligence. Mm -hmm. Rather than be a department in your enterprise, it should be top down. Everyone should be seeing this data from the C-suite down to the marketing level and in communications, internal, external, everything in between. I love it. I love that. So, um, so now flipping into the sales side of it and engaging people on both sides of that fence, there's a lot of AI stuff um, that's driving sales pitches and automation and all this stuff, right? Um, what strategies does TrueScope employ to ensure that your message actually reaches and resonates with your intended audience? Um, well, it sounds like there might be two questions in there. Maybe how we're using AI. And, and, and I'd like to think I have a very pragmatic um, oh, 
uh, grasp of AI. I don't think AI is going to put anyone out of work. I think it's only going to potentially put people out of work who don't learn how to use AI. Mm -hmm. um, just as people who didn't use, learn how to use the word processor in the late 80s, early 90s, um, you know, if all you could work on was a typewriter, eventually the employer said, hey, we can't even get a typewriter fixed. So either you adapt to word processing or or we won't be able to use you. AI is, AI is very similar. It's a very powerful tool. It can do some magical things. It, it lightens the load we have to lift, but you have to learn how to use that tool like any other tool. So TrueScope is very deep into that and developing some very cool um, enhancements to our services. Um, so that's one half of the question. The other, the other side I would say to that is, is really on, on the shoulders of our team, understanding that the transparency of how that can help them, the truth of what it can do for them, and how we can use AI to uh, improve our services, um, make your life easier as a client. Uh, that's the story we're trying to tell from a sales perspective. Mm. If I can tell you, Mike, if I can say to you, um, we've got some cool tools, but what they're really going to do is they're going to save you time, money, frustration, and pain of any sort. That's what you want to know. What you don't want to know is we've leveraged um, ChatGPT Plus uh, to, to create more succinct summaries in instant, real, in near real time. Yeah. Great. One's a description. The other one's how I'm going to alleviate your pain. And whether it's in business or in the wild, any living organism, organism looks to reduce pain. We, we, we are pain averse. And that's, yeah, that's good. parts of our jobs are painful. Um, I, there's things I have here to do that I don't look forward to. I have to get over that and do them anyway. But if you come to me with a tool or a concept or a plan or a sales strategy that limits my pain, I'm listening. And that's, that's what our salespeople are doing. Here's, what, here's how we approach media intelligence. Here's how we're different than our competitors. But ultimately, here's how it's going to reduce your pain, depending on what your pain is. Powerful. I love it. So, um, so kind of as we're, we're wrapping up here a little bit, can you highlight some of maybe some of the remarkable people and individuals at TrueScope and how your services are revolutionizing the, the client experience within media intelligence? Yeah. You know, um, that's both extremely simple and, and potentially time consuming. Uh, I say this about any organization. It always comes down to the people. I don't care what you're selling, what service you're providing, whether you're Southwest Airlines or you're McDonald's, um, it always comes down to the people. Um, and our company is no different. Um, our, our founders and our developers are in Australia. Um, John Kroll's, uh, you know, has probably more experience in this industry than anyone else, whether it's from creating services to mergers and acquisitions. He has everything in between. Um, the CTO, the co-founder of TrueScope, Michael Bade, knows as much or more than probably anybody in the technical side of our industry. Um, the developers, Sarah, everyone in Australia is an A-team and, 
and it's impressive. And when I had the opportunity to visit them, that's one of the things that hopefully sold them as much as it sold me on the concept of getting together. Um, but on our team, you know, I have the opportunity to work with Jean Saucier. She's been with me, I think, eight or nine years. She started out as the customer service rep for another company, and I was her client. And every year she was, you know, had to reach out to me several times, make sure I was happy. And at one point she said, Todd, you seem like a, a great guy to work with. Um, if you ever need someone on the customer service side, let me know. And I was like, you know, wow, I'd love to get to work with a person of her caliber. And ultimately we found a way she could come on our team. And, and it's been, it's been serendipitous how, how well it's worked out. And our senior vice president of media intelligence, Rick and I started a, uh, an office in Chicago around 1999, 2000, 23 years later, we're back able to work together. Both of us went out into the world, gained immense experience that we can bring back to um, TrueScope, this combined effort, and capitalize on what we've, we've learned in the last 20 plus years. And then there's even people like on our quality control team, Judy, who's been here for 34 years or so. She's arguably maybe in terms of years, our oldest employee, but she's possibly my most adaptable employee. I've never put anything, whether it's technology, processes, or people in front of her that she hasn't been able to adapt to. So people are everything. Adaptation is key. Age is not an issue when you have great people. Um, vision, all that is is on our team. And, and unfortunately, we don't have time for me to name them all, but... but no. But there's not one person on my team right now that that I wouldn't say is um, serving our customers to the best in the industry. And you nailed it. People people are everything, and um, and you model that really well. So with that, we're going to land this plane. So thanks so much for being on the Level Up Leader podcast. This was this is awesome. And to everybody that uh, has tuned in, thank you. And now if you're listening. And if you're seeking to transform your leadership and team dynamics, please visit teams.coach for strategies that are clear, they're simple, and they're profoundly effective. And for those intrigued by the innovative world of media intelligence, explore the services offered by Todd's incredible team at TrueScope. Until next time, remember to stay clear, stay simple, and continue to elevate your leadership. Todd, do you have any parting words that you want to you lay on us today? No, um, I just thank you for the opportunity to, to talk with you. And and um, if anyone who's, who listens to this podcast has any questions, I love to talk. So um, they can reach out directly through your podcast. I know you, you have links to find me. So thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Oh, you bet. Absolutely. So we'll go ahead and drop all of your contact information in the show notes. So make sure to check out uh, Todd at, at TrueScope. You can check out his information at truescope.com. And you can also make sure to find him and like him on LinkedIn and follow him on, on Instagram and Facebook and also uh, on also X or the, formerly known as Twitter. And if you want to make sure to like and subscribe and follow this podcast, the more listeners that we have, the better guests that we get. And so Todd's a reflection of that. So thank you so much for being with us, Todd. In the journey of leadership clarity and simplicity, these aren't just goals. These are your most powerful tools. So join us on the next episode of the Level Up Leader podcast as we continue to uncover the stories of leaders who are shaping tomorrow.